people that are watching the video, here's my, my phone, and here's one of the cards. It's, a, it's a, a card with a chip inside. I'm holding up a wood card for the people that are listening. And, and the only thing I do is I, I, I tap the card on top of my phone, and in the bottom, you see this notification popping up. That's so cool. And that's it. Let's do it. Hey, 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 everybody. My name's Ryan Atkinson, and you are on the Biz Cloud. I'm really excited for today's episode. We're welcoming Peter Lindbergh of Mobilo Card to the podcast. Um, Peter has an awesome background. I'm excited to talk with him all things entrepreneurship, networking, and more. Uh, so, Peter, thank you so much for being here. So, so excited for you today. Yeah, same. I'm uh, really thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to be here as well. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, let's dive in. Awesome. Let's do it. And I want to start off early in your career because uh, looking at your background, it actually looks like you were born, maybe not born, but you were raised in the Netherlands or you lived extensively in the Netherlands. Um, and now you're in America. I just want to ask, like, what has been like the biggest culture shock uh, when you did come over to the America from the Netherlands? Yeah, no, I was def I was born and raised in the Netherlands and uh, stayed there uh, until 2015. Uh, so, um, first uh, um, 25, 30 years of my life have been uh, all about this small little country in between Germany and Belgium. And so um, what's definitely different is that if you drive for an hour, there's a different culture uh, every and a different language every, every, every hour you drive, right? You go right uh, you end up in Germany and then even further uh, in, in Poland. And if you go south a little bit, there's Austria, Switzerland, uh, Italy, Belgium, France, <laughs> Spain. And so I've seen all of those countries when, when you go on summer vacation uh, with your mom and dad in the car off. And, you know, the first stop, 45 minutes is to, to get um, uh, different uh, currencies. So that, that, that was before the euro came in, of course. So I'm, I've been very much exposed to, to many uh, different cultures, uh, habits, and that kind of stuff. And that, that definitely has helped. Uh, landing here in New York City, um, <laughs> uh, funny enough, uh, is, is, is very, very similar uh, to, to Europe, at least to Amsterdam. I, I last lived in Amsterdam before I moved to New York. And the directness is something that the Dutch uh, celebrate. And mm -hmm. so coming here in New York, it was like, Okay, the buildings are a little bit taller, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, but the people, um, yeah, uh, that that I feel felt very much at home. Combined with the fact that there's a, a constant buzz uh, that can sometimes, of course, wear you out. But most of the time, um, I, I thrive on it. it. It picks me up. It gives me energy. And the uh, the everybody has ambition here, and that is something that is hugely different from the Netherlands where good is good enough, mostly. Not everybody, right? I'm just, you know, uh, yeah. um, polarizing a bit, but uh, the ambition that that is that lives here in the city has really uh, made me fall in love with New York. And, um, and so that's why I stayed. Nice, I love that. Yeah, I think it's uh, New York, I'm sure is very different from Amsterdam in a lot of ways. When I was over in Europe, like, three-ish months ago I was like really taken back like how laid back the culture is I was in Switzerland in particular um and I feel like it'd be a complete 180 from like New York which is like go 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 everyone is has these huge ambitions um so that's funny that <laughs> that was on par with what you said <laughs> yeah and Switzerland is made for their uh, for their watches of course uh or as uh, famous for for like things running on clockwork uh basically literally 
So uh, the the Swiss are are in that sense. Every little bit of Europe has its own uh, unique um, uh, uh, key essentials to that part. So yeah, um, everybody in, in in New York, I love because they want to run, run, run. And then in in Europe, it's like five thirty. Okay, well, time to think about what are, <laughs> who what friends am I going to see? Uh, what's on on TV tonight? What's like? And then just work is no longer a topic at all. And even here, it doesn't really matter if it's two o'clock in the morning uh, and you're you're in a bar. People still ask you like, "What do you do?" and <laughs> and how how can I help or or how can we help each other? And and so that that's definitely a, a strong strong difference. Yeah, yeah. But I would say you are very ambitious because like when you were eighteen, you actually built you were building and like selling computers um, when you're only eighteen years old, which I think is like super crazy. Uh, can you take us back to like that time um, when you were doing this and like really getting going with the internet trend and computers? Yeah, I started actually before that. When I was sixteen, I was already tearing up uh, computers, and at that time, you were you were not buying uh, a machine, a computer that was that was done. You would buy some parts and put it together yourself. Um, so that's that's where I I fell in love with technology, and uh, my dad was a, a big help in in this. Um, when I was eighteen, I went on my bike as Dutch people do to the Chamber <laughs> of Commerce to register officially the first company. And I would put together computers quickly to find out that um, the people I was selling these made-to-order computers for, uh, I thought I was putting together the best technical stuff, but and and uh, uh, pricing it very premium. Yeah. Uh, in the end, I was putting these together for high net worth individuals that could afford a three thousand uh, euro computer by that time. And uh, what what it turns out was most valuable to them was that I would come to their home, install it for them, and basically in an hour or so, make them able to like guide them through the first setup. And this was Windows uh, 95, wow. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So um, I only later realized that uh, that people uh, valued not <laughs> the, the amount of money for the technology, but really just the installation and getting people sorted and, and, and get them started. And that was uh, late 90s. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a story of my life where you think you're <laughs> selling one thing, but you're actually solving something completely different or, uh, obviously related, but, but never mistake your product or the solution for, uh, for the service that you're offering. Mm, I love that. Never. Can you repeat that again? Never differentiate what you're selling from the product. Never mistake the product for the solution that you're actually offering. So the, the product might not be uh, the solution that people um, uh, think what you're what you think you're selling in terms of the technology. Uh, people don't buy that. They buy the solution, right? That's what makes them excited. And so the next step um, was uh, moving on to retail because uh, it was well. I was successful in selling these computers, but and but my my and my dad was proud, but my mom was angry because school was getting nowhere. So uh, <laughs> I had to to quickly wind that that down uh, a little bit. And so when I was uh, 24, I took over a retail store, and there were two things happening at that time. One, um, photography was going from analog to digital. Uh, as you may remember, before digital cameras, we had films that had to be developed and all that stuff. So photography was a, a magic. Uh, magical black box, you would press a button and then a, a day later or two days later, you could figure out if your photos would be okay or yes or no. 
And with the switch to digital, that that uh, hobby of photography was instead of a, a big uh, magical mythical thing, it became accessible to everybody because all of a sudden you could learn on the spot if you were taking a great photo or not. So uh, that was one thing that was happening on the other side. Uh, retail was transitioning from just uh, brick and mortar to, to a hybrid model. And mm. that took forever, right? If you think about this in early 2000 to today, it's still that not every store has a click and collect where I can go to a website, select something, and then pick it up an hour later uh, or have it dropped off, uh, right? If I, can, if I yeah. can order a pizza. 20 years ago, you could order a pizza and it would be 10 bucks and it would include delivery at home by somebody on a, on a scooter or whatever. That was 20 years ago. So I was always baffled by why, why it took so long uh, for this to become a reality for, for retail. And so uh, we built the first version of a hybrid online and offline store. Um, and that grew really quickly. Um, but I also, I got, I got, I fell out of, out of love with the, the fact that you were selling somebody else's product. So that, that in the end, uh, led me to, to sell the business and go do something else. Yeah. So you say like, you didn't like selling like someone else's business. Is that, do you think that stemmed from your early like entrepreneurial like ventures? It was hard for me to, um, so you have Nikon, you have uh, uh, Canon, uh, you have Sony, all of these, these camera manufacturers, and they would never build the perfect camera because then <laughs> they would be done, right? They would always leave something on the table to, to innovate on. And I thought that was just so, yeah, I thought that that limitation uh, didn't sit well with me. So I wanted more influence on the product I was selling to be to offer a better product and I couldn't, I could, could not change anything of what I was selling. So being uh, a retailer means that you're selling a, a box with a product that somebody else determines what the ingredients are. And I wanted, I wanted out of that, I wanted to be more able to differentiate by building the best product. I love that. I love that. And can we kind of like, let's fast forward to like Mobilo card. Um, can you, I might've pr just pronounced that wrong again. I'm so bad at pronouncing names, but can you explain a little bit more? How did this start? I think it was such a cool concept when I came across it. I was like, this makes networking so much easier and it's an easy to grasp on and the value proposition is right there. Um, can you tell us a little bit more like how this idea came to fruition? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, so I was living in New York. I had a little bit of time off after I left Shapeways, the 3D printing company. And uh, I was doing some consulting, came back from a trade show with 90 paper business cards, a stack this big, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, and I wasn't a natural networker. I really had to learn all of that. So we can, we can dive into that deeper. But after a conference of two days, I had 90 paper business cards and, and really, I, I wasn't really in love with business cards to begin with, but then I really hated them because now <laughs> I have homework to do, right? It's 11 PM. You spoke to, you've spoken to a hundred folks. And if you don't follow up the next day, and certainly in New York, uh, people have forgotten about you. So you have, it's time is of the essence. Um, when you meet somebody, it's a warm relationship. If you reach out two weeks later, there's nothing there anymore. So following up, is, is, is really, really important. So I started, okay, uh, download an app to scan these. Um, well, if you scan business cards, the, the L's become uh, a capital I or a one and uh, the twos become Z's. And even, yeah. um, right, if you now use uh, iOS latest um, 
uh, image recognition, uh, it's still not perfect and then it will never be. So that's not a solution because if I just scan these 100 business cards, then I can't trust the data. Yeah. So that wasn't the solution. And I thought, why haven't people started using apps? And then uh, I started talking to sales friends and marketing people and all of them say, well, I've tried apps, but they're not as seamless. Like I, the moment we are looking both for an app or somebody needs to install something else or whatever, it's, it's just not as seamless as me handing yeah. over that card. So that wasn't sticky. Um, then we have LinkedIn and LinkedIn is great um, for a lot of things. But if I, if I come home after a trade show and I want to figure out what the, the 10 people that I want to reach out to, uh, there's no context in LinkedIn on how I met them. There's nothing that what we talked about. And there's, there's nothing that reminds me that I've met these people and then I need to follow up. So the CRM system then, maybe Salesforce or HubSpot or Pipedrive, uh, then we're back to the app. So I thought, okay, this is not it. Um, <laughs> coming off of an RFID project where I hoped uh, to, to build basically one RFID card for, to rule them all. So to have one that would be the same for the WeWork space, for the gym, for the path train, the subway, whatever it is. I thought, okay, why isn't, is, are these cards all different? I learned a lot about RFID and I quickly figured out that, that with so many standards that there wouldn't be one, one card that could, could do all of that. So I had all of that rested and I thought, okay, wait, but business cards would actually make sense because yeah. the business card is just a card with a link on it. I can tap it on somebody's phone. It doesn't require an app. It saves a whole bunch of paper. Uh, it's always up to date. Um, and nobody will ever spell my name wrong again, <laughs> which is uh, P-I-E-T-E-R instead of Peter normally. So um, I built an MVP and started testing it out. And, and, and Ryan, the, whenever I pull out my card and I tap it on somebody's phone and without an app or anything with Android and iOS, I just tap it on their phone and, and people's minds are blown away, are blown. It's just like, everybody's like, okay, so we have video on. So people that are watching the video, here's my, mm -hmm. my phone and here's one of the cards. It's, a, it's a, a card with a chip inside. I'm holding up a wood card for the people that are listening. And, <laughs> and the only thing I do is I, I, I tap the card on top of my phone and in the bottom, you see this notification popping up. That's so cool. And that's it. And so when I open my phone and tap that notification, it'll show my, uh, my digital business card, including all the links. So phone numbers, all the oh socials, the address, and there's even a notes section. So there it has my name spelled P-E-T-E-R without the I, so that if you would search in your phone for Peter, Without the eye, it would also pop up. But if you were a plumber, or if you were a car dealership, or if you were anybody that that you know wants to to play a game of phone SEO, <laughs> this is this is this is a massive massive step up. And then of course, Ryan, if you save this contact to your phone and I will call you, you'll see my name instead of a random phone number, which is which will do uh, miracles for your for your uh, pickup rate or callback rate. Yeah, that's really interesting. So when you do this out in like 
out in the wild, like if you're just talking to someone and you just tap the card, what are some of these, are these reactions? Is it similar to mine where it's like, oh my God, this is super cool. Like it's all right there. Or like, what are some of the reactions you get? Is, does like one stand out in particular? Yeah. The, um, so when I was uh, in, in uh, MVP stage where I was really figuring out if this would work, um, I, I took a, a plastic card um, and I just put a NFC sticker on the back. This is like uh, the magic trick, right? You hold your, your hand in front of it to, and hope people <laughs> don't see the, the sticker on the back. And, um, and so I, would, uh, I was having coffee with, uh, with a friend, uh, a big VP at an oil company. And, and he said, so Peter, what are you up to these days? And um, I said, well, you know, this, this is what I'm working on. So <laughs> he pulled out his phone. I tapped my, he said, oh, you want me to take a photo of your card? I said, no. No, no, no. Is there a QR, is there a QR code on the card? I said, yeah, that would be cool. But, uh, and it has a QR code. Most of our, our, our cards do for older phones, but it, it, these days it, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Um, it's great for video calls though. So I tap my card on his phone and he is just, whoa, what happened? And I said, <laughs> okay, uh, this is the product that I'm building. He said, oh, this is really cool. I have no clue how it works. I said, doesn't matter. It works. And it works all the time. And he said, okay, give me five. I said, Would you, you only need one. Yeah. <laughs> you can tap it as often as you want. He said, doesn't matter. I want one in my office. I want one in my jacket, in my suitcase, whatever. He said, okay, do you want to know how much they are? He said, doesn't matter. I want them. You, here's my credit card. Take my money. This is so freaking cool. Now, that wasn't... Um, the best part of the story, the best part was the next day I get a phone call from the New York team. And they said, Peter, I heard about this special business card and you tap it on the phone and you can share your contact details. And that for me was a sign that, that, this, that this product has some virality to it for people sharing the product for me instead of having mm -hmm. to do a lot of marketing. And so that's when I said to my wife, I said, I'm going all in on this and, uh, and this is going to be it. It was that quick of a decision. Like I have this proof right here. I'm diving in. Yes. That is wicked impressive. <laughs> I think from like my standpoint, I mean, you saw, you saw the proof point that like a business wants to actually invest, like not invest in this, but they want to buy more. But I think it's wicked products that you do two feet in. Well, um, it's not my first venture as you've now yeah. seen. Um, and it has a couple of fantastic elements to it. Um, one is, uh, I love the combination between hardware and software and really enriching hardware with software. Like if you go up to a fridge and you put a, an LCD screen on it and it will do all kinds of, 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 uh, of things for your fridge. It's not, it's not going to make my products cooler or hold my, uh, my steak longer or whatever it is. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not enriching yeah. the experience as much, but this is the ultimate way for technology to make our lives better, right? Mm. Technology very often makes our lives more complicated, complex, sometimes harder, sometimes, um, difficult to understand this with this, it doesn't really matter. The technology yeah. is here to help you. And, um, and that is, I think, the reason that technology exists and therefore anybody from every age would be able to benefit from this, uh, yeah. which, which makes it a noble uh, thing as well. So the, the hardware software side, the fact that you uh, would be able to design it takes things back from my photography background. And mm -hmm. um, so that, that made me fall in love with this particular product and solution.
Yeah. So when you are designing like a hardware product and software solution, um, what's more challenging to get right? Um, that's a very good question. And I've never thought about it. Uh, what's more challenging to get right? Because I, I saw some parts of the puzzle already uh, in front of me having, when you are, and you, I, it's like B and H photography here in, in in New York, and it's it's it may be one of the uh, more known um, photography stores in in the U.S. I don't know, but yeah. here it's it's very very famous, and um, they have large format printers. They have all of the this this cool technology to for you to to get your 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 beautiful photos onto yeah. paper and off the screen and on the wall. And so that is a world that I've lived in for 10 years. So I immediately saw the, the, the similarities in that. So I didn't think that that would be a problem because that's what I've done for 10 years. People come <laughs> with their USB stick and they said, give me a photo and then we'll turn it into a hardware product, basically, whether that is um, in a frame or, or, or printed on, on vinyl or, or anything else, canvas, uh, you know it. So, I didn't see a problem there. I just saw that, I just felt so so inspired by the fact that it wouldn't end there. And it yeah. would be a really a bridge between the digital uh, world um, and, and, and bridging that gap between digital and physical. And that, mm. that just made it so interesting to me that I, I didn't see the problems, I only saw opportunities. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like I think one of the things, um... I feel like the investment side with like investing, like should I invest in the software or should I invest in the software side first? Do I invest in the hardware side first? Uh, was there one side that you invested in more at the beginning? Um, and has that ratio switched since you started? Um, yeah. Yeah. Listen, our, our first cards uh, weren't pretty. Uh, they smelled because they had ink on it and they were sticky because we were printing on them. And, but it was enough. Yeah. Uh, to to test the hypothesis, uh, and people still uh, found most most of the time. Uh, some said, "Hey, these cards are really sticky." <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> you know that's that's the way they are at the moment. I'm I'm really sorry. You want your money back? And I said, "No, no, no. I love I love I love how it's working, but they're they're just a little sticky." Okay. So that's <laughs> that's that was really the first three, four, five months. Um, the app man it looked so terrible it looked like like it was a website from 1979 uh, or sorry 1997 uh one of those first like boxed frame things and it had uh, maybe maybe it didn't have uh at times new roman as the font that was already upgraded to Arial, but still it looked like it was from the late 90s and still people loved it because that that wasn't really a problem because the moment every single time somebody would tap their card on somebody's phone, that was not part of the experience. That was just there to update your profile, to upload a photo, to change your phone number. And so people, the first customers took that for granted. So as soon as you're, you're, the problem you're solving is, is big enough, people are willing to step over hurdles and, and, and uh, are okay with a less perfection uh, product in the beginning, uh, mm. as long as they're getting something for it in return, that that is the value is bigger than the problems they need to uh, step over. Nice. 
But as you like continue to scale, like you want to make sure those problems aren't existing. Like you want to make this as easy as a product, like one tap, like I intuitively know what it is. Like, I don't want to jump over this hurdle. Has that been something that you've noticed in the past year is really making sure that this is a perfect product as we continue to grow? Oh, 100%, of course. Like we've solved all of that. And our cards are now the same quality as your ID card, your driver's license. They they will be good for the next 10 years. You can put them in a glass of water for, for a week and they'll still work. Yeah. Um, so, but it wasn't the first thing we needed to solve. The first thing we needed to solve was, do people want this? Mm. Even if it's, right? And so it's easy to get stuck on perfect. Yeah. It's not perfect. So I'm not going to go launch it or it's not perfect. So I'm not going to go try it. It's not perfect. So I'm not going to show it even to my friends. Like, of course, my my direct family and friends, they were like, oh, Peter, this is like the 100th project that, you're, that you've started. And, and you know, so... Uh, but the, the the proof is really out there and uh, with unknown uh, prospects that really see the problem that you're solving and say, hey, this is a great solution. Yes, it's not completely done yet. So from there on, you you make the, the TikTok, uh, uh, not as in the app, but, it, but as in Apple used to do one year, they would do a redesign of the hardware exterior yeah. and they would really make it uh, worth... Um, the outside really cool and innovation on screen camera and all that stuff. And then the year after they would go, okay, let's look at the internals and, and, uh, and make sure that, that that's upgraded. And simultaneously they had the luxury to also develop every year a different iOS version, but they, they took steps and that was done very deliberately uh, yeah. because you can't do it all. So you have to kind of zoom in and say, okay, what am I going to do first? And for us, uh, we've had uh, uh, quite a bit of time uh, to optimize the card and the production and the hardware side because the software side was relatively quickly uh, mm. a really great experience. And so, of course, there's requests uh, for more stuff and more things, but you'll have to... The hardest part is always picking through the feedback and then selecting um, what am I going to build first because you're always going to have scarcity in your development resources, whether it's hardware or software. Yeah. And so how do you decide, like, what do you build first? Is it something that's like, oh, like, that's a really good idea. Let's run with it. Or how do you decide what should I build first here? Yeah, there are strategies. Uh, you can you can follow a vision and say, I have a really strong belief in something. And I'm mm -hmm. going to go after that no matter what. Uh, that is one way to go. Um, and I can't say that one is more successful than the other because there have been people that, that were able to predict things. Like I'm not one of those, those people, but um, <laughs> there are very smart people out there that seem to have a, a sight or a vision of an idea and they just go run and then make it happen and then it becomes a success. But if you want to do it in smaller steps and, and be a little, little bit more um, test and trial, then, then, then break it down and... So I, for, for some things I've said to our sales team, okay, uh, you think this is a good idea? Okay, give me 10 people that are willing to buy it from us. And, mm. and, and that's the moment you have a proof point that not only will people say, yeah, this is cool to have, but also I am willing to pay for it. And the I am willing to pay for it is something that works better on the B2B side than on the B2C side. But on the B2B side, it's usually people are willing, if you solve a big problem for a big company, you're going to earn big money because they, they, they already said to you, hey, listen, we're very good at our, our thing, our product, but we need 
to solve this thing that is in our operations or in our structure. And, and for some people that may be um, like a car dealership that, that says, okay, we're really good at, at selling cars, presenting them, polishing them, maintaining them, but we could use some help with everybody that walks in the door to make sure that they go into the CRM system or that when I call them that they see my name and they actually pick up and call me back. And so those are problems we can fix and that, that people are willing to pay for, uh, as it turns out. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I wanted to ask, like, how do you balance like the B2C from like B2B aspect of the business? Cause I saw you guys just partner with like Neil Gerber and Eisenberg, which is awesome. Um, but how do you prioritize? Oh, like we need to focus on our B2C unit here compared to like our B2B unit. For us, it's been, um, B2B first and whatever thing we develop and can offer in a, in, a, in a toned down version or a slimmed down version for B2C as well. Um, that, is, that, is, uh, that is then a nice to have, um, but it's been, we've focused on, on companies of 50 to 500 employees really in the start. And later now we're focusing on companies with a thousand to 10,000 employees and up. So that is a decision that we made. And so for instance, if you're a photographer, or an actor or a freelancer, there might be better options for you out there than Mobilo mm -hmm. and more power to you. And uh, I want everybody to have the, the best product for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you are a law firm with 500 employees, then you need to go to Mobilo because we're the only one that is, that is for instance, a SOC 2 compliant. So we have gone through a six month process in which an auditor goes into your, your tech stack and tells you if you're, um if your stuff is secure so oh, right. you know that's yeah that's stuff that that like we we just uh closed a big bank and obviously they want to know how secure is our data with you and then we can say well we've been audited and here's an independent report and this is everything that has been audited and we can now say not just because peter says so but because the auditor <laughs> says so that your data is safe with us so that kind of stuff that's interesting. I, that's, I'm really surprised that you guys had to be audited. Um, I guess I never would have thought that like a company like this would have to go through like a lengthy audit, but it makes sense if you're working with like banks and law firms that you have to have secure data. Yes. And we can now say exactly that your data save with us. And, and we're proud of that. Very proud. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, something else that you have to be proud of is I saw in the past six months, your headcount has grown 23%, which is a pretty substantial amount. Um, I'm curious, I mean, a lot of companies right now, as we're seeing, like with tech layoffs, like all big techs laying people off, you seem to actually be leaning into it and hiring a whole lot more, um, which first off is awesome. But second question or second off that is, I mean, what, what are you planning with like growth here? Like your headcount's up. What are you planning on growing here? Um, the first year on average, I think we were with four or five people. The second year, uh, I think we were with maybe 20 or so. And I think this year we're going to end the year with about 40. So, um, the head, the head count is, is understated, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I don't, head count is not a goal for us. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we build the infrastructure that our customers need. So, uh, if customer success tells me, Peter, we need two more people because we're, we're 
we're onboarding more more companies, then then that makes sense. We're not going to say, oh, well, I don't know, right? <laughs> so um, we are on a growth trajectory, and it's it's not always easy to find the right folks. Um, but we're very, I think we're very lucky on that front that we we have started off with a great team and a great culture, and that sets the tone for everything else. Yeah. Is that pretty crazy to like, think about like when you first started this, like, it's like, wow, like we're at 40 employees Is that like pretty fun to reflect on. I think that'd be an awesome feeling just coming through. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yes. Uh, in one sense, yes. On the other end, uh, the previous company I worked for shape was we grew from 30 or so to 300. So, wow. um, I've seen it happen before and, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's good times uh, ahead of us. And, and so everybody's super excited. And um, uh, we just, you know, we set the bar at, um, at, at people that are kind. Uh, they have to be good at what they do, but uh, you would also really want to work with each other. Um, so I hope that we can stick to that as long as possible. I love that. And so we are winding down on time here. Two more questions. Um, just curious if you have a book or podcast or anything that has been like most influential in your own life. Oh, um, lots of books. Um, and, and, and some of these I, I, I read twice. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm, I'm very much in love uh, with good to great. Um, and good to great is, is, is one that I think comes up in your, like, if you doesn't matter which business school you go to, this, this will pop up on any of those lists. But um, if you've done your MBA or your business school before you started your professional career, take all those books and read them seven, six, six seven years after uh, again, because yeah. then they'll start to make much, much more sense. Because before that was kind of a theoretical exercise. And now you can start applying those. So um, I'm very much a, a fan of that um, because it gives you some some real strong principles and guidelines from from your to build your company small to big. Yeah. Uh, I love Eric Ries. Uh, was that uh, startup? Oh shit! And I'm thinking on startup. lean startup. Thank you yeah, yeah. from Eric Ries. <laughs> um, with with his method of uh, accounted learning. Um, I've I've learned so much from that book that just makes so much sense uh, in this in this uh, size of the and stage of the company, uh, or at least uh, certainly the first couple of years. Um, and then um, I think there is a book that is underrated and is really really strong and everybody should read is um, uh, from a. a, a old FBI hostage uh, negotiator, uh, never split the difference from uh, Voss is his last name. Uh, and so never split the difference. Christopher Voss, Chris Voss is his, is his name. And he starts every, every chapter with a hostage negotiation situation where you think, how is he going to get out of this without casualties? And then he, takes the, mechan the mechanics of, of getting out that hostage negotiation situation and applying that in business negotiation logic. And like, if you're building a business or if you're doing anything, you'll, you'll be constantly negotiating. And if not uh, with that, then it'll be with your toddler. Like I have a two and a half year old daughter <laughs> uh, who, who never wants to go to bed, never wants to eat, always <laughs> wants to go to the playground. Um, so even there, uh, it has helped me uh, 
having a reasonable conversation. And the goal is not to win, but to have a, a balanced conversation. I love that. And so last question then, I wrote those down. Never Split the Difference is a great book. I've read that before. I've heard Good to Great's phenomenal. Um, the Lean Startup is obviously well well referenced by a lot in the startup community. Um, last question, you were great. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Um, please plug all of that and they will be in the links below. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. It was really a pleasure to be here. It, can, it flew by really, really quickly. It did, um, and they always do. <laughs> uh, you can go to mobilocart.com, uh, check out the product. If you want to uh, have a demo, you want to have a chat, you want to learn more about things that I've mentioned here, feel free to reach out directly. It's uh, Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, at mobilocart.com. And uh, so that's P-I-E-T-E-R, at mobilocart.com. And for the people that are here on the video, just open up your camera, scan this QR code, and you'll have all of my contact details in your phone. So don't hesitate to, uh, don't call me. You can, you can send a text message or you can reach out by email, uh, all good. Awesome, well, thank you so much, everyone. Click on those links in there. And yeah, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It was a really fun episode. Thanks for being here. Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. If you love what we're doing, make sure to subscribe, smash that like button, and turn on the notification bell for all of our upcoming episodes. We have a ton of content planned, and we don't want you to miss it.